Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. And so um, obviously as a church, we are committed to pursuing personal growth, right? Like you, you can't come to this church and just want to stay the same, right? Um, so we're talking about personal growth. We're talking about wholeness and seeing Christ transform us from the inside out, yeah? And so this is a message right in line with that season. Um, so there's a spoiler alert, but... Um, This is going to be an opportunity for you to really do business with God in some areas that maybe um, you've given up on, or or maybe some areas you've been unaware of, or or maybe thought were impossible for any chance of recovery. Like that that part of my life, I I just can't see a change there. And so I'm going to preach, and then at the end, um, if you're here and you you don't know Jesus, I'll give you a chance to to invite him into your life, and then I'm going to invite you all to respond. And uh, we'll open this altar and just let God do a really beautiful and powerful restorative work in us and in our relationships. Amen. And so uh, for those of you who can't move on um, in your note taking without having a title, um, I understand. Like, what is the title? I mean, I've started this thing, you know, I get it. Calm down. I'll give you a title. I was going to call this message uh, Tomb Raider. But um, I couldn't find like a good like one piece silver lycra that really worked for my figure um, as, as the Lara Croft Tomb Raider did. Um, so we're going to go with, we're going to go with uh, the tombs of our hearts. All right, that's the title. And it sounds, sounds dramatic, but work with me. All right. Um, so let's just pray. Okay, God, we open our hearts to you. Uh, Lord, I just lay down myself and, and, and God, I just, would you work through me? Lord, I, I don't want to be seen today, but I want you to be seen and I want you to minister. And so God, our hearts are open before you. God, would you stir hope? God, would you re-engage faith, God? And would you do a beautiful and powerful work that is, it's only what you can do. It's nothing we can conjure up or create, but Lord, you come. And so Lord, we place an expectation on you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go with me. We're going to Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 to 66. That's a lot of verses in that chapter. Um, they just didn't want that one to end, I guess. Um, and so uh, context, Jesus has, has died. He has, he has died. Um, and a man named Joseph, it's not Jesus' dad, uh, has prepared his body and put it in his tomb. All right, and so we, we read on here. It says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered, go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. All right. So this is a scripture that I really felt uh, God lead me to in this context, the wholeness. I said, okay, God, what are you doing here in this space? And, and, and what I began to recognize was this, this phrasing of make the tomb secure. It says it quite a few times in that passage. Make it secure. Get some guards to guard it. Seal it so you can see if anyone has, has tried to mess with it. Shut it up so there's, there's no kind of possibility of a fabricated story, a conspiracy of some resurrection. Right? And as I was reading this, I just felt the Holy Spirit challenging me and, and, and us that this is actually just like so many of us. 
that we have tombs in our hearts that the enemy wants to seal shut, right? To declare that there's, there's areas in our lives, in our hearts, in our relationship where the enemy wants to say, hey, that's dead. That cannot be revived. Like there's no chance here. It's dead and buried, right? Like that part, is, it's a no-go zone, right? The enemy wants to shut down that belief or that hope for change or for restoration or for the reality that things could actually be better. And so I want to ask you, today, what are the... What are the areas or, or relationships in your life that you've maybe deemed dead and, and sealed off? Right? What, what, are, what is that in your life? Maybe for you it's, it's issues with your dad or issues with your son. Maybe it's, it's, it's unforgiveness uh, towards that old friend. Is it, is it broken trust in your marriage or in a friendship? Is it that pride or envy that you have towards those that you perceive are doing better than you are? Is it a desire to please others and, and this belief that your relationships depend on you appeasing them and, and, you, and you're living this trying to please and measure up? Maybe you're like me and, and, and you so allow the enemy to uh, try to secure your brokenness by believing the lie that, oh, I can never change. Like I'm actually incapable of, of fixing this. I've tried, I'm trying, I just, I can't. This is going to be how it's going to be, right? I'm incapable of working on this dysfunction in this part of my life, right? The enemy is trying to lock that breakthrough away. And there are lies that the enemy has sold us, that those things in the tombs of our hearts are sealed shut, like, and they're beyond recovery. The enemy wants us to believe that the issues in, the, that in these tombs of our hearts are too far gone. He wants to defer and deter and destroy hope in us for those situations to be better. You know, in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life, right? When we, when we say, man, there, there is just no hope in that space. I'll just try not to think about it. I'll shut that off. It's dead. Uh, you know, that actually doesn't breathe life into our hearts, right? But that word sick, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That word sick in the Hebrew is chala, chala. You've got to get a little phlegm in there, chala, right? Which means, it means grieved. It means weak. It means sore, put to pain, to be sorry, to be worn, that's not the way you and I want to describe the conditions of our hearts, right? Like we cannot allow the enemy to have this one, to convince us that these areas are too far gone, that they are dead and sealed shut. Your marriage will never be better. You're never going to be able to sort that thing out with that family member. So let's read on in this account of Jesus in the tomb. You've heard this passage before, Matthew 28, verse 1 to 7. It says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Yeah, it's a pretty scary kind of thing, this whole interaction, right? Do not be afraid. Just a big mighty angel shown up. There's been a big earthquake. People are passing out. Big stones are rolling away. Uh, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. But he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I've told you. 
You see, Jesus was meant to be done for. The disciples actually, many thought he was. That hope was gone, right? He was dead for a good few days. That's some serious body decomposing there, right? He was secured up in that tomb of death. The enemies got it done. But oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. He is risen, and what a way to do it. You know, I was saying, I have a bit of an imagination. I like to kind of play out how things would go, and I can imagine, like, before Jesus has risen from the dead, he's kind of chatting with the angels, Michael and Gary, and like, so Jesus is like, how are you going to do it? Are you going to, like, like, just, like, will there be, like, a storm, and you kind of come out, or are you going to, like, just walk straight through the tomb? Like, what's your plan? And then, like, Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 we're going, like, full, like, halftime Super Bowl show on this one. Like, let's get, like, the ground shaking. Let's go, like, a full-on earthquake and then like you show up and you look like lightning and you're like snow and like just roll the stone away and like we'll just like shock the guards so they're unconscious um but don't give Mary a heart attack go easy on on Mary and, and the angel's being like oh I love it classic let's roll that play this is gonna be awesome you know and 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 as I thought on this this whole idea of this 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 incredible epic and and dramatic resurrection I was thinking about the reality that Jesus doesn't want to just tinker and and lightly kind of fiddle to get through a seal to the dead things in your life, right? He wants to rock up and just bust it open. He wants to take you into a glorious freedom where there's no doubt that there's been a resurrection, right? There was no doubt. You couldn't fake that. Jesus is not into the discreet. He wants the world to know that he is doing a resurrection work in us because that brings him glory, right? That testifies of who he is. You see, if your, resur- if your restoration doesn't cause you to walk, talk, and see differently, well, then maybe it's just been you fiddling with the tomb, you know, rather than actually a resurrective work from Jesus. We can try little strategies and, oh, this will help me cope. And, and really, we're fiddling with the tomb. But Jesus is saying, hey, I want to come and do a work in you and set you free. I want, I want you to look back and say, wow, look at what Jesus has done. And just like the guards, when Jesus moves in the tombs of our hearts, man, the enemy is completely immobilized. He's rendered powerless. You know, as I looked at this scripture a little further, I couldn't help but notice in verse 66, it talks about setting the seal on the stone. Now, I'm not talking about like, oh, 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 seal, like we're not, a, we're not a dream world here. Like I, I'm talking about, it was a seal. It says it's made out of cord and, and, and wax or clay. And they would, they would seal it around so that if there was any tampering, it could easily be detected. Because the religious leaders didn't want no man trying to, trying to make this kind of claim that Jesus had been resurrected. If they tried, they'd get caught. The plans would be foiled. And the actual, the ironic thing is basically they did this whole supernatural resurrection idea, a big favor, because it meant that the only way Jesus was getting out was if he was supernaturally resurrected from the dead, right? And so what does this speak to us in the context of our wholeness? We will experience this resurrection, not by our own efforts, right? But it's by the resurrection work of Christ. Like no attempts by, by man are actually going to cut it. Like I, I've tried. I've spent so long trying to overcome or deal with issues in my own ability and failed time and time again. Like I, I, I've done pracs when I was an OT and I sit in, in a mental health hospital and run a group therapy and we just say, try and cope with this. Try and do this. That'll help you. There's no way. There's actually no sense of overcoming. But in Jesus, we actually have that. He has that for us, right? And, and now I'm not saying don't take responsibility or don't make better choices or don't go to counseling. I'm not saying any of that, but, but we need actually understand that the enemy is onto it. 
And that the demonic assignment for your life is to keep you in a place of brokenness. And even furthermore, is for you to believe that things cannot be restored. So doing it in our own strength, with our own devices, it's going to be to no avail. Trust me, I've tried. But if we place Jesus in the tombs of our hearts, man, it's only a matter of time before that resurrection power follows. It's a matter of time, right? He wants to bring a shaking and a restoration in our lives, right? In our brokenness, in those dreams, in, in those damaged relationships. So what are the tombs of your heart that you need to let Jesus in? He is risen. He is risen. That word risen means agiro in the Greek, which means surrounded from disease, right? From death, from obscurity, from inactivity, from ruins. And it means to awake, to raise up, to rise up, to rise again. This is what he's saying for us. Just as he is risen, he wants to rouse us from those places of death because his promise for us is life. John 10, 10. Lord, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus saying, I have come to bring you life and life to the full. That's that Zoe life, which means vitality. It means absolute fullness of life, right? It's not this partial life, not life in some areas. I'm really great. I'm awesome. Look at me. I'm a good Christian. But over here, oh, this is a bit, bit nasty and dead. Don't talk about my relationship with my mother. You know, like, don't go there, right? But this is what Jesus has for us. He has life. This is what he's purchased for us. This is not just the Easter message where we talk about Jesus died and rose again, but this is why he's come so that we can believe and allow him to do a work that releases life in us. So the question is, will we invite Jesus into the tombs of our hearts? Will we place him in the middle of the dead things in us, the relational issues, that hurt, that unforgiveness? Because Jesus burst out of the grave for you and me. And he's ready to do the same resurrective work in our hearts. You see, the importance of this is not just for our own benefit. When we look at that passage in Matthew 28, verses 6 and 7, in verse 6, the angel says, come, see, right? Like there is no more dead body. Come and realize what he's come to do. Like come and see his resurrection power. Like know that this is who Jesus is. You need to experience the full reality of this. Come in the tomb and see it's not here anymore. There's no more dead in here. He's alive, right? And then verse seven, the angel then says, go tell, go quickly and tell. Jesus and actually, as he speaks through the angel, he's not instructing them to go into the world yet. He's actually saying, go tell the other disciples, They were telling those who were hopeless, but then who would eventually be the founders of the church. They were going to tell them about his resurrection work and saying, come and see my resurrection power, experience it, and then go testify. Again, this is for us. This is for you and and I. As his sons and daughters, he's inviting us to come and see, come and experience the resurrection power that I have for you. But then as his disciples, he's calling us to go and tell the other believers Right, to share of how Jesus has brought the dead things to life in you with those around you, right? Those in your connect group, those within the church, right? Because as we understand that, as we share that resurrection with others, that stirs hope in them. That renews their hope for that breakthrough. So your freedom, your restoration, the reconciliation of your relationships can be the catalyst to unlocking freedom in those around us in our church, right? A resurrection in you will stir up the hope in others for a resurrection in them. Wow, you, you, you got free in that space? Well, maybe I can step into that too. Right? 
You know, if, if I can, if, if, if the Holy Spirit and I can stir in you some hope today for a resurrection in you and, and you begin to step into that, then your resurrection is going to then begin to stir that in others. It's going to stir that up in others. Because if we don't first invite Christ into the tombs of our hearts, then others in our connect group won't and the wider church won't. And then this isn't a culture. This is just some sentence we put on our website. Where we're about wholeness. <laughs> but on top of that, I'm just reminded of the text where so many times go and make the tomb as secure as you can. The enemy is hell-bent on God's people living a life with sins paid for on the cross, but not in the reality of his resurrection power that delivers us from our brokenness. Our faith in this, our testimonies, that will set a culture of wholeness as a priority and a worthwhile pursuit in our church. And just as these two women brought the resurrection reality to the disciples, whose then impact was the pioneering of the early church, the possibilities are those around you in our church, right? In our connect groups, when they encounter his restorative power because of the hope you stirred in them, well, man, the, the possibilities for them, the impact is significant. It's endless, right? What could be of them as they step into wholeness because they were stirred by your pursuit of wholeness? We have a duty and a responsibility to ourselves and to his church to prioritize our wholeness journey and invite Christ into these tombs in our hearts. Because your, your wholeness is good news that glorifies Jesus and it stirs hope in others for freedom. But here's the question. Has the pursuit of wholeness been a priority in your life? Like what wholeness testimonies do you have to go and tell? Do you have any? Are they recent? You know, that, 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 that testimony of you getting set free from fear of man back in 1998 was great, but, but our wholeness journey is ongoing. Stuff happens. Things go on and we need to come back and say, Jesus, heal me in this space. What do you need to work in me in this space, right? Because there should be more. There should be more for us to go and tell if we're pursuing wholeness. Because you might be on one side of things where I'm talking to someone like, yeah, man, there's some serious damage and, and issues in my marriage or in this relationship or this part. Or you, you might be on the other side where you're like, no, I actually feel like I'm pretty whole. Well, I'm inviting you. There's, there's an opportunity to step into greater holiness. God is wanting to refine us, to make us more like Him. And you know what? I'm actually tired of the church getting a bad name in society because we're broken people that aren't dealing with it. We represent Christ and His church. Amen? He's calling you and I to lead the way in this. You can't counsel or minister to someone who's got issues with their dad if you haven't dealt with your issues with your dad. We need to have wholeness testimonies and we go and tell those around us so they step into greater wholeness. So will you prioritize and pursue your wholeness? Will you come and see Jesus, behold his resurrection power, and then let him into the tomb of your heart so that you've got something to go and tell? You know, as I think about this, this whole thing of wholeness and and, and any time I, I, I go to God in this space, he so often draws me back to Psalm 139. And, and I feel like this is the perfect wholeness passage in, in verses 23 to 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Not along the path, path of some bits are alive and other bits we just don't talk about. If we're going to let Jesus do a resurrection work in the tombs of our hearts, we need to be prepared to allow him to search our hearts, to, to let him come in, to partner with him in doing a little shake up and clean up in our hearts. 
You know, when, when we were living in Cambodia, we were there for, for five or six years. We, we decided we'd take a, a cricket set and we'd try and teach them what cricket was. I don't know why cricket, I want up footy or any. I don't know. We took a cricket set and uh, I think we played once. It was hard just trying to find a space where we could actually play. And, and it's quite interesting trying to teach uh, people to play cricket that have not only never uh, played before, they've never even seen it, right? So, you know, just having a crack, it was great. It was a good time. But we played that one time and then pretty much the cricket set just lived in our house uh, getting dust. And except for this one time, um, the cricket bat came out and uh, we lived, our house lived, uh, we lived on what was called the Black River. Anyone been to Cambodia before familiar with the Black River? A few hands, yeah. So for those that don't, the Black River is, is pretty much a, an open uh, sewage canal. Um, so it's, it's black, it's sludgy. At the right time of day, there's this wonderful aroma that wafts from it. Uh, it's covered in rubbish. All those polystyrene takeaway containers that last forever, yeah, they're all in there. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it made some really nice greenery. Like, it's really fertile. We had some nice greenery out the front and stuff. Um, because at our house, we were living above the church office, um, you know, sold out to the cause. Amen. Um, <laughs> it's for a season, praise the Lord. Um, and for some reason, you know, we're up on the third floor, but for some reason, the, the Black River had a tendency to attract rats and mice. I, I don't know why, um, I, what, what it was about the Black River. But um, we were on the third floor, so we were, we were generally quite... Unscathed, but there was this one time, um, Tamara and I, we were, we were sitting on, on the couch, just, um, you know, probably praying or, or talking about our favorite scriptures or something, not watching TV, only like we're Christians, right? You know, we're just <laughs> praying and, and that kind of thing. And um, I hear this rustling in the kitchen. Um, anyone, you know, you ever, ever have, you have a plastic bag full of plastic bags, you know, as they collect, well, not anymore, right? No more plastic bags, but rustling, and it's funny, because every time I tell this story, Tam says, you know, like, twice before that, I told you that I could feel something moving under my bottom in the couch, and I was like, no, nah, come on, you're being silly, you're making it up. Anyways, you guys are, like, pitching this, like, we're, we're these hardcore missionaries getting infested with rats, and we're here for you, Jesus, and it wasn't quite like that, it wasn't quite like that, but... But anyways, I hear this, <laughs> we're going back too, we're, you know, um, I hear this rustling and, and, and within a matter of moments, right, the whole house has just been turned upside down and, and this, look, it was probably a mouse, but let's go with like a rat, like that's a better story in this, uh, and has, has scurried under the couch. And um, we've made this barricade of objects and stuff, so it's the, the wall there, and, and so it's only got one way out. And I've, I've tried getting the vacuum in there, sticking the vacuum, trying to suck it out, and it was, it, was, it was holding on for dear life. And so it comes to this point where I'm at the one opening with my cricket bat. And um, in this split-second moment, out he or she comes... <laughs> and it was like slow motion, right? In this just one swift, precise, calculated moment, I just whack and just nailed this thing to the tiles. Like, <laughs> man, and I was just like, yes! Like, I felt like just such an, you know, I feel like I just made a century, you know, like, you know, this is the bat right here. No, I'm just kidding, it's not the bat. <laughs> and, um, and I looked up, and the house is just a mess. Like, those plastic bags are everywhere, the couch is flipped over, or just things are everywhere. But I killed it, right? I killed it, right? I got it. <laughs> and uh, where am I going with this story? <laughs> I killed it. I killed it. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. And uh, look, the house was a mess, but I killed it. And I, and I, 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 I penned down. The thing 
that was not going to be, that thing was not going to be lurking in the shadows of my house no more. It wasn't going to be lurking in the shadows of my house no more. What's lurking in the shadows of our hearts? Right? What, what's, are we just kind of hoping will go away or, or we just rather ignore it or not deal with it? You know, could, could we take the same aggressive, relentless approach towards the darkness and the broken relationships, you know, the, the dysfunctional filters we have going on in our lives? Could we say, I'm, I am, I'm going to deal with this thing. I'm not letting this thing scurry off to somewhere else or continue to hang out in my life. I want to get after it with you, Jesus. If you're up for that, uh, as, as I am, well, well then what, what, you know, we want to see God do this searching in us and do this resurrection work. Well, what's required of us? You know, if we're going to invite Christ into those dead spaces, how do we partner with him? Well, as I looked at that Psalm 139, I felt like it's got three keys. And, and I think my rat story parallels quite nicely to it as well. But those three keys that I saw was courage, attention, and a willingness to let things get messy. You know, when we look at courage, you know, it takes courage to allow God into our hearts, right? Okay, God, search me, show me what's in here that's not right, but be gentle, right? Like, because it's going to uncover some stuff that isn't comfortable, right? Or, or it isn't sweet or isn't nice to admit that's going on in us. It's easy to, to search someone else's heart and they go, this is going on, but, but search my heart. What, what's going on here? And then when, when he actually reveals stuff, well, we're going to need to do something about it. Right? And that's going to then need some courage to follow through. Right? It'll mean having some courageous conversations. You know? it, it'll mean having those conversations with someone who's seeking forgiveness, asking God to change our hearts. Right? That all takes courage. And, and there's grace absolutely for that. But the courage is our choice. God brings the grace he moves, but the courage is on us to commit into that. Secondly is attention. If he's going to search you, point stuff out, we actually have to give him attention. You have to be listening and engaging him. You have to make space for that because it's in our beholding of the reality of Jesus that we experience his resurrection work in us. Right? You see, the greatest resource, the greatest currency in today's day and age is attention. Companies will pay millions of dollars for your attention, to hold your attention. Will we give Jesus our attention? You know, my daughter Shiloh, she loves animals. And, and when we're driving along, I so often try to point them out to you. We go past Murdoch Uni and the cows there. I'm like, look, Shiloh, there's cows. And she goes, where? And I said, there, where? You've missed it now. You know, <laughs> we've driven past. And you have no idea how often that happens. And so now I have to, I have to preempt, you know, okay, they go, Shiloh, there's cows up there. Where? And then we, we do the thing until she eventually sees it. But, but the reality is if, if you're not setting space for God to search you, you're not setting yourself for wholeness. You'll miss it. You will miss what God wants to do in you. Ask God those relational questions. You know, how am I going engaging with my co-workers? Were there any reactions or interactions I had today that were, were ungodly or, or were insecure or there was some jealousy in there? You know, like, is there some calibrating you want to do in me with how I'm treating my spouse? Am I keeping some record of wrongs there? You know, or, or why was I so quick to react when my mom made that comment? You know, give God your attention around these areas. And thirdly, it's a willingness to let it get messy. This feels like a nice poetic psalm, but it's actually quite full on. Right? If you allowed the, the Lord to show you what he wants to sort out, what he wants to lovingly restore and do in you, well, it, it's going to uncover stuff. It's not going to be all sweet, happy rainbows and lollipops. Right? Like, as you let him search your heart, 
as you make those courageous decisions to maybe it's to meet with family and, and apologize or forgive or, or, you know, things will feel a little out of order. But the peace at the end is so worth it. That Zoe life is so worth it. You know, God has really been, uh, over, over the years, restoring my heart for my family. You see, I, I jumped full ball into serving Jesus and ministry and loving the church as a teenager and as a young adult. And, and I decided, uh, probably subconsciously, that I love the church more than I did my family. So I was never home. And, and because in my mind, like, church, it's alive, there's faith, there's things happening. And at home, well, home is, is you know, there's mess and there's maybe there's conflicts that are unresolved or there's spaces that I feel like Jesus needs to come in and bring some life. So Jesus, you sort that out, I'm going to church, right? And God's had to do this work on me on like actually loving my family. And, um, and things have therefore had to change, right? Because after earthquakes, after Jesus does a resurrection work in us, things are not the same, right? You can't go back to the old, right? And so now I do lunch with my mum fortnight. We hang out every fortnight, right? I video call my sister who lives in Queensland, right? My other sister, we've been doing camping trips with, with each other and with her family, and I love it, right? And, and you're like, yeah, you should love hanging with family, right? Well, now I do, right? And the shift has been, been great, but you know, you gotta understand those first few catch-ups, they're a little awkward, right? Like, and, and, and there's times where like, I don't know what to say. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be good at talking to people. I was like, oh God, oh God, I don't know what to say to you. Don't, don't tell me this stuff. I don't know. Like, you know, um, but you see, when, when Jesus does a work, things will have moved. Things have shifted, right? And so some things can no longer be as they were, right? Nor do we want them to generally. And PK spoke a few weeks back about the fear of that unknown and, and the unfamiliarity, you know, we understand we'll figure it out. Like, and Jesus is with us in through it all. And it's so worth it. Yeah. So as Jesus does a restorative work, we've got to partner with the change, right? With our end of the bargain, with those new habits, those new ways of thinking as we engage with the restoration power of Jesus Christ. So I want to invite the worship team up. I want to, I want to land on this. As we looked at that, that text, you know, there's this, there's this experience of the resurrection power of Jesus, Matthew 27, 28. And then in verses 18 to 20 of Matthew 28, Jesus says those famous words. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. He says, go and preach the gospel. Go, right? There's a world that needs me, that needs to know of the reality of who I am and this resurrection power. And you see, your restoration leads to your mobilization, right? Christ's ministry in your heart releases your ministry for others. You've all experienced my resurrection power. Now go into the world. It's exactly what happened with Peter, right? Like he denied Jesus. He was in this place of, of down and out, hopeless, broken. He gets restored. Jesus leads him into restoration. And then he leads the birth of the church. Our wholeness and our relational healing is much bigger than just ourselves. It's a key ingredient to us being effective in fulfilling the Great Commission. That's why we're all still here. So the question is, will we allow Jesus into the tombs of our hearts? Will we let Him do a work? Because it's for you. It's to bring that Zoe life. But it's to impact those around us, our church. And it's to then increase and, and overflow into the effectiveness, into the, the community, right? Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.